You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. This is Psalm 29 and page 485. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the glory, to the Lord, glory and triumph. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. The voice of the Lord above the waters. The glory, the God of glory thunders. The Lord above the vast water. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in splendour. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the woodlands bare. In his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. So good morning again. When Erica and I uh, decided that we would move our kids and our family to Thailand um, in answer to what we felt was God's call, I think we both had this vague notion that when we got there, when we started to serve as missionaries, I put that in scare quotes actually, missionaries, that somehow it would be like a completion, you know, of our spiritual journey, that we would be true Christians then, you know. And actually, when we arrived and we began the process of trying to settle in and trying to adjust to this new culture, the exact opposite happened. We actually, both of us, during that first six or nine months, more than we ever had in our lives, began to doubt whether... God had really called us, whether it was really worth serving this God who supposedly had called us, and even more than that, whether there even was a God. And I have never felt so, uh, I'd never felt my faith so at risk as I did when I sort of answered God's call. It was the exact opposite of what I expected. And in some ways, I think that's part of why God took us over there, because He wanted us to really wrestle with this. He wanted us to stop living in this kind of assumed or um, taken for granted 
way of serving and worshiping Him. And, you know, we've had, there's a lot to our journey since that point, but I was hoping that we could kind of talk together today about that question that Erica and I were both asking ourselves during that time. Why should we worship this God? Why should we serve this God that we both had known since we were little kids? Why should we even believe in this God? And it's not a very, in some ways, it's not a very uh, sort of esoteric or profound question. It's in some ways like the most basic question that we as Christians could ask. And I want to invite you just to ask it with me this morning and to hear what the Psalms might have to say about that. We could spend our time sort of talking about the philosophical arguments for the existence of God and all that. But to be honest, I've gone down that path before and it's not particularly satisfying. And if you have a lot of intellectual questions about the existence of God, then we can have a discussion about that another time. Um, But I want to show you from the Psalms, from three Psalms actually this morning, some thoughts about um, why this God that, you know, we're all here to worship this morning is worth worshiping. And when I say worship, you know, I'm I hope you'll understand, I'm not just talking about singing songs to him and telling him that he's great. That's a piece of it. But I'm talking about actually saying to someone, I am much lower than you. We are much lower than you, and therefore you deserve our loyalty. You deserve our service. You deserve our fealty as to a king. So far, am I making some sense here? I want to take you just on a little trip through three psalms, actually psalms of David, all three of them. And I think that it will help you to understand at least kind of where God has taken me over the last several years. And maybe it will open up some thoughts for you too about why we serve and worship this God. So when we talk about psalms of David... We may be talking about psalms that David himself wrote, um, or we may be talking about psalms that were written sort of for David when he was king, or something in between those two. We're not sure, but um, certainly these psalms that David, that were of David, um, they have a character of often raw emotion. And the first psalm that we've already heard, Psalm 29, is full of almost elation at God's mighty power. And I think this is the first thing that I want to share with you about why we should serve and worship this God. Because He is terrible. He is awesome. Sorry, the, the word terrible can also mean, you know, like, just terrifying. I'm using the, um, a slightly different version from the one that we just heard from, the New English Translation. I love this part. In verse 4 of Psalm 29, it says, The Lord's shout is powerful. The Lord's shout is majestic. The Lord's shout breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young ox. The Lord's shout strikes 
with flaming fire. The Lord's shout shakes the wilderness. The Lord shout, the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. It bends the large trees, strips the leaves from the forests. Everyone in his temple says, Majestic. I think this is something that I feel we don't always meditate on as often as we should. That our God is incredibly powerful with a word. And when, when, it's, when David says here, the Lord's shout breaks the cedars of Lebanon or shatters the cedars of Lebanon, he's using um, an image of something that was considered very mighty in his time. These, these were huge trees that were considered, um, you know, sort of a symbol of strength or a symbol of earthly power. And the fact that God can shout and those trees are shattered, that the leaves are stripped from them, this is meant to inspire in us a sense of, like, fear almost at how powerful this God is. When it says He shouts, um, actually I was reading some commentary that was saying that, you know, this is probably meant to meant to uh, indicate God's sort of battle cry as he goes out to go to battle for his people. His, just his battle cry. He hasn't even enjoined battle yet. He hasn't even started to fight. All he's done is cried out, and the cedars are shattered. It's incredible. We often think of God as the creator, and that is an extremely powerful God, but also He's a destroyer. And so I think that the first answer to the question, why should we serve and worship this God, is because He is terrible. He could destroy us with a word, with a thought. He can, if He can shatter the cedars of Lebanon, then what we might consider to be our power is measly in comparison to Him. I think the reason we don't often reflect on this aspect of God is because we're kind of living in a time when humanity is seen as the sort of the apex of everything. We see ourselves as being actually very powerful um, to the point that, you know, we can like change the climate of our world. <clears throat> and uh, you know, it's true that we're here, we're, we're sort of dominating this planet. But there is one who made us and who also can destroy us when he chooses. And if there's nothing else, the reason to serve and worship God is because really... There shouldn't be any other choice. Like he, to fall on our face before him is just to show that we see that he can destroy us, that he is powerful. This kind of leaves me with a question, though. I don't know about you. And this is probably kind of an arrogant question, but I can't help asking it. And that is, okay... So God is terrifying. He's powerful. You know, he shatters the cedars of Lebanon, poetically speaking. 
But why on earth would I want to serve a God who is so scary? Why, would I, why on earth would I want to serve someone just because I'm scared of him, just because of what he could do to me? It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like uh, I'm really being given much of a choice in this matter. So I want to read to you uh, some parts from Psalm 34, also a psalm from, of David. And this psalm, uh, the title tells us, was written by David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech so that the king sent him away. And by the way, one thing I, I feel about the psalms is that, you know, it's great to kind of try and exegete them, but really I think they're meant to be felt more than understood. So I want to just read this for you, and we'll try to see what kind of feeling it gives us. So again, I'm reading here from the New English Translation. Psalm 34. I will praise the Lord at all times. My mouth will continually praise Him. I will boast in the Lord. Let the oppressed hear and rejoice. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us praise His name together. I sought the Lord's help, and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Look to Him and be radiant. Do not let your faces be ashamed. The oppressed man cried out, and the Lord heard. He saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord camps around the Lord's loyal followers and delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the one who takes shelter in Him. Fear the Lord, you chosen people of His, for those who fear Him lack nothing. Even young lions sometimes lack food and are hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I'm just going to skip ahead a few verses to verse 18. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He delivers those who are discouraged. The godly face many dangers, but the Lord saves them from each one of them. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil people self-destruct. Those who hate the godly are punished. The Lord rescues his servants. All who take shelter in him escape punishment. This is a different God in some ways. This is a God, this is a Lord who is near the brokenhearted. He delivers those who are discouraged. I love this psalm because David has, in the one I read before, David has given us a picture of a God who is terrible. But now he's giving us a picture of a God who is really compassionate. And there's a verse here that I wanted to draw your attention to. Um, let's see. I just lost my spot there. Uh, he Okay, the angel of the Lord camps around the Lord's loyal followers and delivers them. That word really jumped out to me, loyal followers. Actually, it's two words. It jumped out to me when I was reading this psalm this week because I thought, a God who is so terrible he can shatter the cedars of Lebanon, that's a God that I should fall on my face before. But I'm not sure that I would describe myself as being wanting to be loyal to that God, you know, because I'm more scared of him than I am attached to him. But a God who is near the discouraged and the brokenhearted, a God who wants to um, help me when I'm oppressed, 
or who wants to help all those out there that I see every day are struggling. This is what I do in my work, you know. I, I sit and meet with people who are feeling very oppressed in their lives for all sorts of different reasons. I get to spend time with kids who have experienced um, abuse and violence, who have been, you know, literally abandoned by their families. And it would be hard for me to feel attached to a God who didn't care about those people. Because I see their pain, and I'm often pretty powerless to do anything about it. But a God like the one David's praising here is a God that I want to be loyal to as well. Just like he's saying, the angel of the Lord camps around the Lord's loyal followers and delivers them. How blessed is the one who takes shelter in him. Those who fear him lack nothing. Even young lions sometimes lack food and are hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. He's drawing a contrast there between a lion, which is, you know, a strong, powerful beast. Sometimes a lion even doesn't have enough to eat. But even the most lowly, the most oppressed, the most downtrodden person in the world, if they turn to the Lord, David says, will lack nothing, lack no good thing. In Psalm 34, we have a God whose awesome, terrible power is turned with compassion towards those who need Him, those who call out to Him. And I do want to be loyal to a God like that. A God who will keep any of my bones from being broken. But I got to tell you, I'm still left with a question. Because, like I told you before, I sit with people all the time in my work who are oppressed, who are struggling, who are needy. And sometimes the things that they share with me do not feel like what David is describing here. They do not feel like, oh yeah, I was having a hard time and then God saved me. It doesn't feel as though God was really with them. Um, I work with a lot of different kinds of people, but some of them, many of them are missionaries, and they had a similar experience to the one I was describing to you, where they went away from their home because they wanted to serve God. They wanted to contribute in some way to His kingdom. And they went far away from everyone that they love because they hoped to, um, they hoped to make a difference. And often what they ended up with was a broken heart. Often what they ended up with was a family in pieces or a sense of overwhelming failure. In some cases, they ended up with dead friends. I know many people uh, who have come recently out of China, which in that part of the world we just call the big country up there because no one wants to even say it. And they've seen 
the friends that they have been investing in and trying to disciple literally snatched away, disappeared by the regime. They've seen a culture that they've come to love decimated. People who are sitting in front of me with these things don't feel as though this God is very compassionate. They don't feel as though he really is, you know, camping by those who are loyal to him to protect them. The last verse of this psalm says, The Lord rescues his servants. All who take shelter in him escape punishment. A lot of these people who sit with me in my counseling room would say, I have not escaped punishment. In fact, I'm being punished and I didn't even do anything. At least that's the feeling they have. It's well and good, you know, to know that we have over our world a mighty and a terrible God. We can fear Him, we can bow before Him. It's all well and good to know that we have a compassionate God. And to give that God our loyalty. But what about when this mighty, compassionate God doesn't use His might to rescue us? What about that? Well, David has a psalm for us there, too. Psalm 22. This is a famous one. I'm not going to read the whole psalm to you. I'm just going to read the first 18 verses. Um, Just know that after verse 18, the psalm actually shifts gears. And he starts talking about how God has answered his call. It's worth reading, but I'm not going to read it right now, just partly for um, reasons of time. But I want you to um, really feel David's words here. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I groan in prayer, but help seems far away. My God, I cry out during the day, but you do not answer. And during the night, my prayers do not let up. You are holy. You sit as king, receiving the praises of Israel. In you, our ancestors trusted. They trusted in you, and you rescued them. To you, they cried out, and they were saved. In you, they trusted, and they were not disappointed. I'm a worm and not a man. People insult me and despise me. All who see me taunt me. They mock me and shake their heads. They say, commit yourself to the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him, for he delights in him. Yes, you are the one who brought me out from the womb and made me feel secure on my mother's breasts. I've been dependent on you since birth. From the time I came out of my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not remain far away from me, for trouble is near, and I have no one to help me. Many bulls surround me, powerful bulls of Bashan hem me in. They open their mouths to devour me, like a roaring lion that rips its prey. My strength drains away like water. All my bones are dislocated. My heart is like wax. It melts away inside me. The roof of my mouth is as dry as a piece of pottery. My tongue sticks to my gums. You set me in the dust of death. Yes, wild dogs surround me. A gang of evil men crowd around me like a lion. They pin my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies are gloating over me in triumph. They are dividing up my clothes among themselves. 
They are rolling dice for my garments. This psalm, I think, in some ways is almost like a reply to the things I've already told you. Because he says right, right there at the beginning, you sit as king, receiving the praises of Israel. And as I've read this psalm, this is a very famous psalm, but I've been you know, meditating on it a little bit this week. And I could be quite wrong, but I almost have this feeling of like, this is an accusation, like, you are king. We've been, our nation has been praising you. You helped our ancestors. And look, here I am, a worm in the dust, surrounded by these horrible bulls that want to devour me. He's talking about his enemies there. My ancestors cried out and they were saved. It's like he's saying, you are a mighty king and we've always been told that you care, that you have compassion on those who are oppressed. Just like, you know, just like he said in Psalm 34. But look, look at the situation I'm in. You have abandoned me. For me, this is why I love the Psalms the most, is because we have in God's Word the writings of people who are quite willing to say to God, where are you? What the heck are you doing? I was loyal to you. I trusted in you. And this is what I get in return. And I love it because this is what I'm, you know, this is, this is what I'm sort of dealing with all the time in my life and in my work. This is what I myself experienced when we first went to Thailand. Not because, not because life was really so horrible, but because everything about the pressures of leaving everything behind, trying to enter into a new culture, being sort of essentially an idiot. You know, when you, when you go to a new country, one thing you don't expect is that you're going from a place where you contribute, you know how to speak, you have training that makes sense to everyone around you, you know, you have education and stuff, and then you go to this new place, and you're a baby. And suddenly, the shame of being a baby every single day, of people giving you these looks like, what is wrong with you? Why can't you just, you know, figure out what that vegetable is called that you want me to sell to you? That shame, like, seeps in, you know? And a lot of the people that I'm working with in my counseling are people who've experienced that, plus all this other stuff that I was describing to you before. And so I love the Psalms. I love these kind of Psalms because it's almost as if God wanted to say, I know, I'm this... You know, the fact that you feel like I'm not there for you is not, is not a surprise to me. It's not a mystery to me. I love that David recorded this moment for us where he felt like God had abandoned him. But there's something else. And I think you'll, you will have noticed it as we were reading. And part of the reason why this is such a famous psalm in verse 8, well, first of all, verse 1, my God, my God. The way I learned it was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 8, verse 7 and 8, all who see me taunt me. 
They mock me and shake their heads. They say, commit yourself to the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him, for he delights in him. If he is really a king, let him come down from that cross himself. Verse 18, the last verse that I read. They are dividing up my clothes among themselves. They are rolling dice for my garments. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he quoted the first verse of this psalm. And according to Jewish tradition, that's a way of quoting the whole passage in brief by quoting that first verse. Jesus was crying out, partly, I think, because he was feeling abandoned by God and partly because he was saying this, everything that David wrote here in this psalm, it applies to me in this moment. He literally had people down at his feet casting lots for his clothes. They were literally standing there and taunting him and saying, if you're really, you know, the Son of God, come down off that cross. If God, you know, if, if you're really so special, God will take care of you. In answer to the question, why should we serve and worship God? Yes, because He's terrible and powerful. He can destroy us with a word. So we should fall on our faces before Him. Yes, because all through the ages He has taught His people that He is compassionate, that He cares about their sufferings, that He wants to help them when they're in trouble. Even more than those things, because He Himself God himself knows what it's like to feel abandoned in his darkest moment. God himself knows what it's like to question, which seems extremely paradoxical, and I'm not going to try to explain that to you, except that that is a God that I want to serve. He's a king who's not only is powerful, but he's a king who's will, willing, you know, to use kind of a medieval metaphor, he's willing to be the first one in the charge to battle. He's willing to sleep on the ground with his, with his troops. And that's a king that I would want to follow. And I want to, I guess, put this question to you as I finish. If we have a God who is that powerful and that compassionate to the point that He is willing Himself to experience the depths of our suffering, not just what it means to suffer, but what it means to feel abandoned and alone in suffering. If we really have a God like that, then what? Like, you know, we could do probably the rest of the year in sermons talking about that. Then what? 
But for me, I think what God's been challenging me with this week is if you're, if you're going to really, really be my servant, if you're going to really treat me as, a, as if I'm that, that God that's presented in these psalms, you're probably going to have to have a bit of a different way of thinking about life. You're probably going to have to change a few things about the way you see the world. So I'm, I guess what I want to ask you is, what is it that realizing, realizing that this is a God who's worth our worship, who's worth our service, who's worth our fealty, how would that change the way you see the world? Let me pray. Father, I'm so grateful to you for giving us the Psalms. Because you have said to us, Lord, that you are mighty. You have said to us that you are loving and compassionate. And then you have said the strangest and most mysterious thing of all in the Psalms, Father, that you, the mighty, loving God, were willing to be one of us weak humans to feel our pain, Lord, and to feel our abandonment. Father, there may be some people sitting here who are in the midst of that feeling right now that you have deserted them, that all your promises of help are empty. Please show them, Father, that you know exactly, exactly what they're going through. Because you are so mighty, Father, because you can strip the trees, we acknowledge that we, don't, we can't possibly understand why you do what you do. But what I ask, Lord, for everybody sitting in this room is that you will remind them that even if they can't understand, that you are with them. You are close and you understand them. And Father, may that inspire all of us here to total loyalty to you, complete devotion, to worship you with our lives. Lord, there are so many ways in which the lives we live and the culture that we're a part of um, pulls us away from loyalty to anyone really but ourselves and what we need. Father, we need, um, we need your help to be the loyal servants that you deserve. So we pray for that and ask 
In the name of Jesus, your son, who experienced abandonment on the cross. You will help us, Father. Amen.